Welcome to another episode of Get Invested with Ben Dunbar and Brett Siffling from Gerber Kawasaki Wealth Management. We are now set up with our legit podcast studio, <laughs> so it's a, it's a new experience for all of us here. But um, as as always, we always like to start it off with disclaimers in that we may be talking about investments. We may be talking about stock market and all these various things. Uh, don't take anything you say we say today as advice. Um, we will... Uh, you can always consult your Gerber Kawasaki financial advisor or speak with us personally, but today is meant more just for general terms. So with that, uh, we're, we're going to be talking today about all the, the GameStop, the Reddit mania, and everything that has been going on with Robinhood with the testimonies and all that fun stuff. So with that, um, before jumping deep into it, what's kind of going on with markets right now, Brett? Yeah, it's been an interesting run. Obviously, this year has been great so far. Uh, but there, it just seems like there's a mania out there right now, whether it's in the stock market or in the crypto markets. And it all really started with this GameStop, Reddit, just saga. Um, and then obviously bringing Robinhood into this, which is what we're going to kind of talk about today. So you want to give us like a recap of what actually happened? Yeah. So uh, I don't think in my entire career have I had more messages from friends that have been <laughs> interested in the stock market and interested in what's going on. So, so let's talk about what happened with GameStop. So GameStop was subject to what we call the short squeeze. And again, short squeeze has always been talked about in finance terms. And for the first time, you know, my 16 year old little cousin wanted to ask me what the short squeeze was. So, so what is a short squeeze? So when you invest in a company, typically you buy the stock, you invest, you think Apple's going to sell way more iPhones and you invest in Apple. But when you go short in company, uh, when you short a company, you're betting that the stock goes down. Okay. And how you do that is you basically borrow shares and then you sell them to someone else and then to buy them back later at a cheaper price. Okay. So when you close a short position, when you get out of a short position, okay, you're buying a stock, you're kind of causing the stock to go up. So what happened with GameStop is basically so many people were short the stock. Okay, they were betting that it was going to go down. That eventually what happened when people actually started buying the stock, because I guess some people go into GameStop. I don't know. I haven't been in one. In I've, I've been in one and a couple days ago, it was completely empty. Yeah. So there, <laughs> I think there's always more employees than people in GameStop stores. Um, but so, so what happened is, is basically all these people took this short position. People started buying GameStop stock and the stock went through the roof. And here's what's crazy. So if you buy a stock at $10 and it goes to zero, your maximum loss is $10. However, if you buy if you sell short a stock at 10 and it goes to, let's say $100, not only did you lose your $10 initial investment, but you owe someone $90, right? And so what happens is, is all of these big hedge funds, a lot of these big investors that were short GameStop, what happened was they were forced to liquidate their positions because their initial investments were not, they weren't losing not only their entire initial investment, they were losing much more than that. So that shorting yeah, happens a lot in the stock market too. And, and some stocks are, are more heavily shorted than others. Obviously, if you're you know, looking at GameStop, it's a dying industry. Um, it's kind of a retail brand. And so um, they basically were betting against it so much that it was over 100% of the actual float 
was short at some points using you know derivatives and options and things like that so you know short squeezes are nothing new like these these things happen i mean it happened with tilray just a you know few years ago during the the last recent pot craze tesla tesla also is is a bit of a short squeeze so these highly shorted names are, are constantly targets and and people kind of go out and hunting for them um, so it's nothing necessarily like out of the ordinary yeah and i, I think what's been different this time especially is Robinhood has allowed people to trade without any transaction costs. And so we saw kind of the birth of Wall Street bets, uh, Wall Street bets in the public eye. Now, Wall Street bets has been around for a couple years, but uh, just in the past, you know, couple of months has changed uh, substantially. And, and here's what's here's what's very different about um, kind of like this time versus the other short squeezes is basically people were able to buy uh, multiple, multiple shares without any transaction costs. And people were just holding and not selling their GameStop. And everyone was arguing basically, hey, it doesn't matter what GameStop is worth or anything like that. Just hold it's, the line. Yeah, <laughs> hold the line. That's that's the great line. Um, so, so with that, let, let's kind of talk about how Robinhood has changed the game and now where the game may be changing back to some degree. So so my grandfather was a stockbroker, okay? So he was trading stocks back in the day when Apple split adjusted was probably like 25, 50 cents. <laughs> and and what happened was, is every time you called him, he would get paid for selling you a stock, buying you buying a stock for you, okay? Old broker mentality. Old broker mentality, exactly. Good old uh, good old Richard Dunbar, very stock <laughs> stockbroker name. So. What happened is Schwab came out and, and they were really the major first discount brokerage firm out there in the game. And they brought down transaction costs substantially so people could basically buy buy and sell stocks on their own and, and not pay much of a transaction cost. And that was how these brokerage firms made money. They made money in other ways, selling products, um, selling trades, also make money on the cash that you hold there. But um, think the, the industry was starting to change. And basically these brokerage firms were starting to bring down the cost of trades and Robinhood came out and did what, Brett? Yeah, and it was it was really the race to the bottom with with zero fees. And it ultimately, you know, caused a lot of these discount brokerage firms to consolidate just to even compete with them. Um, and so it's this really the rise of electronic trading was able to drive these um, cost it down. And there's actually a really, really good book uh, if you guys are interested in this called Flash Boys that goes over um, you know high frequency trading and what actually happens when you click send. Like we we here in California, when we click send when we're buying or selling a stock, it takes about 300 milliseconds for that order to go from LA and be routed to the New York Stock Exchange. And a lot more happens in that 300 milliseconds than you would ever believe, um, including basically huge you know, uh, firms like Citadel um, and other high frequency trading firms can aggregate that data and ultimately either jump in front of you or place trades around it to ultimately profit no matter if the stock goes up or down. It's just essentially if the stock is being traded and they're making money off the volatility, um, kind of like playing as the house in a sense in the casino where everyone's gambling and you don't really care how much they're gambling or what they're gambling on as long as they just keep gambling. And so um, they ultimately are the, the huge winners here. Um, and I guarantee you, if you look at how much money they made over this, you know, last quarter, it's going to be an absurd amount. Um, it's, you know, really a conspiracy theory in a sense that, um, GameStop and these wall street bets, people were able to take 
on these institutions um, because these institutions, in a way, it's it's kind of rigged against the retail trader. Yeah, definitely. And and what is free is is not really free. Robinhood made over two hundred million dollars in Q four on selling order flow, basically selling to these high frequency traders. And so going in going into the conspiracies here theory, we're the jury's still not out, right? We're, we're, we're still going through all these testimonials right now. And basically, as many of you saw, uh, Robinhood basically prevented you from buying GameStop. Back on January 28th was the first day that they decided to restrict trading on all stocks. And so that's when this conspiracy was kind of born that Citadel being a major investor in Robinhood, also being a major investor in uh, the hedge fund that was betting against GameStop uh, was forcing Robinhood to stop this trading. And as we saw on the hearing yesterday, Ken Griffin, who's the CEO of Citadel, his opening line was that they had no role to limit the amount of trading. Now, do you think that's actually true? As I just said, sorry, the, the jury, the jury is still still out on that one. Um, it it's a weird relationship, and and I think it it goes back to we've grown up. You and I have grown up in this in this era where these technology companies kind of grow revenue, grow revenue, grow revenue, and it's just kind of grow as fast as you can without, and then kind of figure out how to fix things later. But Robinhood is messing with people's money. I mean, this is so wrong to prevent trades like this. Other brokerage houses um, that you know work with advisors, some were starting to limit because of the issues, but generally speaking, the larger brokerage houses were still allowing you to trade uh, GameStop and AMC and these other stocks. And so it, it does go back to thinking about these technology companies and can be a little bit dangerous like Robinhood. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're seeing this constantly with, with a lot of innovation that it's constantly outpacing the legislation that and, you know, regulatory framework that our government bodies give us um, at the end of the day. And so really they, they need to play catch up. Uh, but I got a question for you, Ben. Do you think that like it's even appropriate for the government to ban something like order flow? I mean, Canada and the UK has already done that. It's funny. I go back and forth. If you ask me on a certain day, I may change my mind. But, <laughs> but look, order flow does help in general, help with an orderly market. And they've always talked about that. Basically, it's going to happen regardless. And so if we try to regulate it, there's still going to be some some companies innovating to figure out a way to make it. So the important thing is disclosure, right? Uh, when it comes to all of this order flow and there's more disclosure than there was previously paying for order flow and all this stuff. But everything needs to be disclosed a bit more because when you talk about this conspiracy theory, uh, I don't even want to call it conspiracy theory because maybe it's not, but there are interlinkings of relationships between these companies and it, it needs to be disclosed. It needs to be shared. And what's pretty crazy is, you know, our firm, we are required to disclose our positions quarterly uh, as like what we actually own for our clients and all that stuff. People that are taking short positions don't. And so, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, just disclosure with all of this, the high frequency trading, all that stuff is a bit more important. Yeah. And it, like you mentioned, like if payment for order flow is actually banned, it would just come back in like a less transparent way um, because brokers, like they still need to make money somehow. Like you can't just trade for free and like just expect that they are a company that is non for profit and that they're just going to help the world invest. Like these but people are. I thought are that was to, Robinhood. I thought that was Robinhood. <laughs> it's definitely not. These people need to make money. And in fact, the founders of Robinhood are, you know, have made 
an absurd amount of money just creating the company and going through VC round after VC round. So, I mean, do you think that at least this free trading is increasing speculation and causing over trading in a sense? Yes. Yes. We, uh, I have an indicator, which is basically <laughs> how many young people in high school are asking me about investing and there's always more speculation when that happens. So when my 16 year old kid, which is great, she's interested in investing, but my, not my 16 year old kid. <laughs> Ben's not that old. I'm not that old. I swear. But when uh, my client 16 year old kid messages me about AMC, clearly there's a lot of speculation going on. Uh, I think, look, granted, I think the speculation, not the speculation is great, but the interest is great. Okay. Finance, has been viewed as like this boring taboo subject a lot of times, but I love that young people are getting interested just like you and it's I It's a do. way less lonely world right now. Yeah, the finance world yeah right exactly. Now. Instead of us having to talk to each other. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's rules in place though, to also, you know, keep these, these kids from, from over trading. There is what's called like the pattern day trader rule that a lot of people don't actually know about that. If you have less than $25,000 in your brokerage account you can actually only make three day trades per five business days this thing used to drive me crazy growing up but now it, it kind of makes sense to me why they do this um, it's such a you know arbitrary rule but it's really from keeping small retail clients from churning their accounts over time exactly and you know staying the course staying invested and buying great companies at reasonable valuation um, can work and it's it's not always about how much you can make in in a single day so so with that, um, we're gonna turn it to turn it to Clubhouse here and and turn off our podcast and, and invite some Q and A people. Yeah, and but, but before we get into that, just remember that uh, if you guys have any questions, you could always contact us on social media. We're we're huge on Twitter. I'm at Bsiffling Trades. You can click on our Clubhouse handle too and go through that. Um, ben Dunbar GK. Um, you could also just email us directly. It's either Brett or Ben at GerberKawasaki.com. Um, so make sure you guys are following us. Follow us on Clubhouse. We're going to start doing this um, pretty much every week when we do our podcasts. Um, with that, Ben, we'll call it. Thanks for joining.